Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is our very special guest, Monsignor Stephen Doktorzik, who is the Vicar General for the Diocese of Orange. And before we unpack what that means, welcome, Monsignor. Thank you very much, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be here in, in these difficult times. And hopefully we can be beacons of hope. And hopefully this will be a very encouraging hour together. Well, and as we say at Mass that we can't quite go to just yet to be with your spirit, your spirit is with us. And I appreciate the ordination that you have and the fact that you represent an aspect of sacramentality to all of us. Would you please open us with a brief word of prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, giver of many gifts and comforter through the Holy Spirit, we ask you to be with us today. We ask you to be with everyone who is listening or will be listening in the future to this broadcast. May they know that you are with them, that ultimately you are in charge, and may we be comforted, and may we be people who comfort others during these difficult and, and unprecedented times for us. We ask also the presence of our Blessed Mother. May she drape her mantle around all of us, and we pray together to her. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. We have you on after a couple of weeks of truly unprecedented change and upheaval and discord and problems within our world. And with that in mind, I want to thank you for coming in, but I would also like to ask you, what's going on with the world right now? Where is the Diocese of Orange? What's it doing? What's open? What's not? What's happening? What's not? There's a lot of confusion out there, I think. All we know is that we can't go to Mass. And every time we try to put out a communication, something changes. And so that's true. I think it's, hopefully we can say that this is being taped on the 20th of March. <laughs> so by the time this airs, or if you hear this next year, perhaps things may have changed. Oh, I uh, hope by then they have changed a lot. And we hope that that (laughs) this doesn't need to be aired because everything's gone back to normal, but that doesn't seem like it will be the case. We have prayerful discernment and and with consultation. You may recall that uh, the Bishop asked that by the end of Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day, that the last Mass be celebrated until further notice. And this is respecting the, the civil authorities and I think sometimes realizing that we don't have all of the answers. There's things that we don't know as church people or citizens that 
we don't have all the information, so out of respect, it was with a heavy heart that he decided that, okay, we will not have masses. He still wants the churches to stay open, and people are coming, not, not as much as they used to, for prayer, and so they could have solace. Now today, with the with the governmental order kind of almost locking things down, we'll have fewer people out there, but we want to be there for, for people. And if I could just add, a distinction I think should be made, so public masses have been suspended, but it doesn't mean that masses have been suspended because the bishop has been very clear that he wants every priest to be celebrating mass every day, which should be the case anyhow, but just a you know, a clear directive uh, to priests that, all right, there may not be people there. There's some are going to be watching on, on television and live stream, but you can still bring their sufferings and their needs, certainly the mass intention, all to the altar, and, and we need to be doing that. Let's talk for a moment about that, because I know that a number of my friends and people that talk to me, it's it feels to them almost like a like an emotional or psychological withdrawal that they are so ingrained in the Catholic rhythm yeah. of life where every Saturday or every other Saturday they're standing in line to go to confession. Every Sunday they're going to to communion. Many of those who have retired or who have the ability are going to daily Mass, yeah. and all of that's been suspended. It's almost as if, from their perspective, their Catholic life has been put on hold. And what you're you're talking about here is that in a way, that's true, and in a way, it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too heavy in theology, but this is where we are reminded by Paul, we are the body of Christ collectively. Right. And so while we may not be participating directly in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the body of Christ is participating in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass at every Mass that every priest is offering. Is that a fair way of, of putting it? It is, and, and thank you for, for bringing that out, because... It's not just, oh, well, there have to be, people have to be there, or why celebrate Mass? I mean, that's been a thought that, that, you know, for decades, but I think we see that that's misguided, that that's, uh, it's not based in on proper understanding of theology. And so, was well, an opportunity to, to bring us back. And, um, so, you know, I'm celebrating, I usually have the 630 Mass where I live at St. Polycarp and Stanton. And so, I'm taking the, Mass intentions, you know, there's no people there, but I'm celebrating Mass in our private chapel, you know, for that intention. The other priests are taking the other Masses, so those intentions are being offered just as if Mass were being celebrated publicly. You know, it it always um, surprises me as a convert at how ingrained the that rhythm is for Catholics but yet it also is so so normal for all of Catholicism. So I don't think many people think about it. But the holy sacrifice of the Mass is for us here on earth now as a tool for us in a way. I don't want to reduce it in any way, no. but it really is about trying to get us to have a, a more compliant heart, a more compliant spirit, and by both aligning ourselves before taking communion and then embracing the graces that come from communion mm-hmm. We're preparing our soul for meeting of Christ when we finally do have that face-to-face meeting at the end of our life. But the final exam question, when we read Matthew 25, doesn't ask how many Eucharists you took Mm -hmm. or how many rosaries you gave or how many times you attended Mass. It asks, when I was in need, did you take care of my needs? Did you develop the love and empathy while you were here 
from all of these great gifts that we've been given, including the sacrifice of the Mass, so that when people in need were present, did it break your heart? Did it drive you to help them? Did it motivate you? It's not that the sacrifice of the Mass is is not important. On the contrary, it's mm-hmm. vital. It's the source and summit of our faith. Right. But in the end, it's there to bring us closer to Christ, which is the ultimate goal, is it not? Yes, that's right. And if I look at the at the bright side, I mean, I, I'm just wondering how much more are people going to be hungering? You know, once this passes, we don't know when, um, how much are people going to be hungering? I, I think it's going to it very much, there could be a real resurgence, and even people who have been away, that this really could be an opportunity for them. They may just be motivated as a result of deprivation. I wonder if you don't have two things going on almost. Uh, at the same time, putting a magnifying glass on it, we have been deprived of the Eucharist at a time when we're most in need of the Eucharist. Right, right. <laughs> As they say, there are no atheists in foxholes. Meaning, when the shells are flying overhead in the middle of a battle, everyone's on their knees praying. It doesn't matter, you know, what your what your ultimate faith originally was. There is a God, and you're hoping He saves your bottom line. And for us now, in in the trenches, so to speak, in our homes. We're not being asked to do anything other than don't spread the virus. This is a time when I think a lot of people are asking those those deep questions. Is there a God? What do I really believe? And those are the non-Catholics, but those are also some of the Catholics who may have grown up Catholic. They've been in that rhythm their whole life. But what do they really believe? Well, you know, you could be in real serious health danger at any time now. Mm-hmm. If Christ comes knocking at your door, are you prepared? This is a time to take that reflection, isn't it? Absolutely. It's an invitation, and who had control over this? Whoever could have foreseen this situation that we're in? The people who are most astute, the best planners in the world. Who who could have seen this? Who who could have foreseen this? Well, and it's funny because we have these contingency plans, and I I saw from the New York Times the leaked uh, version of the plan they're actually working with the White House right now. But it is based on a contingency plan that was already put in the hopper that they've had in there for years as a possibility. What happens if? What happens if? What happens if? And this is one of those what happens if that you never believe when you're writing the the plan Mm -hmm. will ever happen. And now we're in the situation where, as you said, we're denied our Eucharist at the time when we probably need it most. Is this going to create more hunger? How do we guard against the other, though, Father? How do we guard against we've lost our daily regimen or weekly regimen of going to Mass and receiving communion? Are we going to see, do you think, a falling away of Catholics, too? I hope not. I mean, it's been very edifying to look at the numbers of people who are watching. We're live streaming the 6.30 a.m. and in English and 5.30 p.m. in Vietnamese Masses from the cathedral just across the way. And the first day that it was done, Wednesday, there were um, 18,000 viewers who were watching it at the time, and then a number of thousands who watched it afterwards. And then yesterday's numbers were higher. I don't know what this morning's were. But um, so I think people can, is it the same? No. But, well, you know, some are are maybe discovering this idea of, well, we can make a spiritual communion. We can realize that, well, you know, I can't physically be present. Or in other cases, maybe I'm not, you know, this properly disposed. Why not? So is this a possibility of rediscovering this idea of, you know, Lord Jesus, I 
you know, I, I can't be with you, and it, and it grieves me not to be able to receive you, but, you know, help me to, to uh, you know, receive you in my heart, you know, in a spiritual way. And we have some material out on that. In fact, I think it's even being, at least on Sundays at the cathedral, it is being posted for the people to see from home. So we have these masses that are being live-streamed. We've got masses that are on EWTN. We've got the radio mass on Relevant Radio. We have the ability for people to take part remotely in mass. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the value of doing that, which you just started talking a little bit about, but also this plenary indulgence that I know that the, the Pope has put out there. One of the requirements for that is to be free from all attachment to sin. Mm-hmm. Is this an opportunity perhaps in a way that maybe we haven't always done when we've gone to Mass ourselves regularly to really reflect on what does it mean to be free from sin. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is the Vicar General for our diocese, um, Monsignor Stephen Doktorczyk. And we're talking about the impact on us spiritually, emotionally, physically, of not being able to attend physically Mass and all of the changes that have taken place. We're going to cover a whole bunch of things, including how this is going to impact the church itself. There are some real dangers that this could do for the church, which we're going to talk about. And we'll see you when we come back from this break. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where there's no one on the freeway. Because we're all home, except for the few of us who are allowed out, communications people are allowed out, people who are involved in public mental-emotional health, of which I know our church provides a great deal of, and of course, the primary role of spiritual help to get to God. How do we come close to Christ? And during this time where we are locked out of Mass, so to speak, not to any fault of our bishops, but out of the kindness, actually, of our bishop trying to preserve those who otherwise piously would put themselves in harm's way, uh, especially a number of older people who piously would allow themselves to be put in harm's way. Our bishop has said, no, we're not going to let you do that, but we, we love you that much. There are still ways, though, for us to come close to Christ during this time. Monsignor, Dr. Orzik, let's talk a little bit about how this time where we are on our own with time to actually think. For a lot of people in very busy lives, this may be a a respite that they haven't had in a long time. How can we come closer to God during this time of shutdown? If you think of the tenets, the pillars of Lent, which we are in, you know, prayer, fasting, and and almsgiving, I think all three of those can come into play and really in a much more intense way than perhaps usual. So how much more are we invited to prayer? Those who have time, and, and many are, as we tell, as we could see on the on the roads today, you know, the grocery store parking lots are full, but other than that, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty empty. And so, you know, how are we using that, that time? Are we spending four or five hours on the Internet kind of seeing the latest thing that's going on? Or are we taking this, well, I, I could pray, I could watch the Mass, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I could pray a rosary, and I should. There is spiritual reading. I could pull out the Bible. I could just, you know, sit and meditate and be intentional about about how I spend at least some of the day. 
And so the the silver lining, if you want to say, could be, look, this quote-unquote extra time that we never had before because we're you know, not commuting. And, you know, yes, everybody's got different, but just the not commuting piece, you know, for many people adds quite a bit of time, not taking the children to sports because everything is canceled. So how can I use that time wisely and really enter into this Lenten spirit? So I... We can go deeper if you want, but those, those no. are some some uh, ideas I have. I, th- I think that's wonderful. It's there's a reason why we have the liturgy of the hours, uh, and I know that back in the years before electronics and internet, uh, monasteries knew the importance of a rhythm of life. Yes, and the the liturgy of the hours, those prayers each time you do one, they only take about fifteen minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And at, they're only a couple of times during the day. There's a lot of time out there to do a lot of other things, but they add structure, prayerful structure, and a reminder, a, a skeleton, so to speak, to our day. And I know that every every religious, every priest, and mm-hmm. every deacon is supposed to be doing oh, yes. the Liturgy of the Hours. You, we mentioned before priests are, are asked to, but it's not the same requirement to do Mass in, in some areas, which means that the Church is praying, uh-huh. and the church is praying together, there are lots of ways to join yourself to the church. One of those would be the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what the Liturgy of the Hours is all about? I don't want to go into great detail, but there's lots of apps that are out there, Laudate, for example, mm-hmm. where you can pull up and plug in. It even tells you, are you close to this hour? Push that button, and it'll get you <laughs> involved. What's the Liturgy of the Hours? Well, it's as you, I think, just said, you know, it, it's the prayer of the church, and it has evolved a little bit, especially after the Second Vatican Council. It's, I say, it's been re- the intensity has been reduced, but it's basically at prescribed times during the day with some latitude. You know, the idea is for the church always to be praying. So we have, you know, the invitatory. It, it invites. It opens the hours, uh, the office of the readings, and that consists of, well, either three psalms, but normally a, a longer psalm broken up into three uh, sections, and then a, a scripture reading, and then a, a second reading, either be it on the lives of the, of the saints, or like during Lent, or Easter on the, the reading that, that, that is probably going to be at the, at the Mass, or the you know, cycle A, perhaps. We have morning and evening prayer that are considered the, the hinge hours, you know the the cardinal, the, right. the, everything. If you, rest, if you if you can't do the other ones, those are the those two are to focus the, on. Yeah. Those are two to focus on. But again, it's it's uh, it's these three areas of, of psalms, and then the morning we pray the Benedictus of, uh, of Zechariah, and then in the evening it's the. Now, what's uh, the Benedictus of Zechariah for those yeah. who don't know that? Well, after you know, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel has come to His people and set them free. It's it's basically Him. Almost having a, uh, well, praising God, but, you know, thanking him for his son, you know, for John the Baptist. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So this is an exclamation of his joy at God giving him his son, son. John the Baptist, who would be this great prophet, who would bring about, who would call forth the Messiah. That's right. So that's every day. Yes. And then I know you also have the Magnificat is said mm-hmm. every day. The Magnificat, of, I think more, more people are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. That's Mary's great hymn about That's... how blessed she is, mm-hmm. to how, how humble and blessed she is to be called to this. 
And you think of the power of reciting that prayer at least once a day. And there's the three possibilities in the afternoon. I mean, you know, midday and mid-afternoon prayer. That's a little short, but it kind of gets us through, you know, the morning and the evening. And then night prayer, which is very, you know, should never be neglected because that calls us to make an examination of conscience at the end of the day and how important it is to you know, examine, well, how did I, what did I do? Well, what did I do well? Where did I miss the mark? And then, you know, go, going into it. Uh, and then that's the Dimitis of, uh, of, of Simeon, you know, after the presentation of the Lord, you know, now you let your servant go in peace. Uh, that's so, right. This is where he sees the baby Jesus and he recognizes this was the one that was prophesied. Thank you, Lord, for letting me live to see it. Yes. And it's another exclamation of great joy in, in the Lord. These are, are prayers that every clergyman in the church recites every day. They change every day. Uh, there, there are some that are the same every day, like we just mentioned. But then the Psalms are different. The readings are different. They're all different so that we have a real enlivened discipleship, really, mm-hmm. that the laity would benefit from, especially now that they've got some time to experiment with this a little bit. Yes, and... It is kind of, it's a four-week cycle where, in effect, at least the majority of the 150 psalms are going to be covered. If you recall in the old days, in fact, in the, I'll say the old breviary for lack of a better word, which we are permitted to pray, it's 150 psalms each week. And so it's it's more intense in in the older form, which, you know, some are still legitimately praying today. And then, of course, the rosary is something that if you aren't doing it every day, this is a great thing to introduce to your children. It's a great thing. You can have very sophisticated, very deep meditations, or you can have some very simple ones for children, and it's an easy prayer to become involved with. And what's more is that if you're if you're watching on EWTN or listening on the radio to the Mass or involving yourself in the rosary, Pope Francis has uh, given us just recently a statement of of plenary indulgence that if you participate in any of these piously, you can receive a plenary indulgence. It's not a guarantee you're going to receive it, but you, you're eligible to receive it every day. And that's something that's not as easy to do before he made that statement mm-hmm. under normal conditions. What's a plenary indulgence? Well, it's the full remission of the temporal punishment that is uh, associated with uh, sin, with sin that's already been forgiven. So if you go to confession or I go to confession, obviously we are we go with a contrite heart and we are obviously sorry for our sins. We have, you know, the intent of of not sinning in that same way again and the church in her mercy, you know, Peter holding the keys, retaining what he, what he will retain or or forgiving what he will forgive. The church has the authority to offer these um, plenary or or partial indulgences. So, yes, this has to do with purgatory, then. Too. Yeah, sorry, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But in other words, when when we die, mm-hmm. if we are in love with Jesus, but we haven't always shown it well, mm-hmm. we still have some cleaning up to do. Yes, the purgation process, or we call purgatory, which really means cleansing. That's right. It's not God's concentration camp. I've got some people who still got to think of it that way. It's about God cleaning us up, so to speak, like a mother cleans her child. This is a way of making it either easier or complete. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not that easy. What what are the in other than doing the 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 visual uh, on the mass or doing a rosary? What else has to happen in order for that to take place? Really, we're supposed to be freedom from attachment to any sin, so full detachment from sin. Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean so much psychologically, though. We need to be working. It, it's a it's a decision we've made. Lord, I am I am sorry for my sins, and I truly don't want to sin anymore because I offend you. Mm-hmm. Kind of our act of contrition really meant. Yes, and I think we have to desire it in our hearts. And yeah. there is a little say disagreement, and uh, not disagreement, but there's yeah. continual discussion. study and discussion, which isn't a bad thing. No, you know what exactly does that mean? But but if we think about it, it's not just oh. You know, here's a free pass. No. No, there really has to be that that change. And, gosh, if somebody piously participates in that, th- th- that change is going to happen. You don't I, necessarily I to, need the purgatory after that. <laughs> I, I intend, exactly. So it, it, it's part, um, and I think it's also worthy to think of this plenary indulgence, you know, can be offered up for someone else who is in purgatory. She says, well, well, I only need to earn it once. Well, okay, but there there could be others there's a lot of people who are, who are sick and dying from the coronavirus. So why don't we, based on what you said, I'm so glad you did. Yeah, the coronavirus for one, but take this as an opportunity. The families that, look, we can sit and pray together. Maybe this is something that couples wanted to do from the beginning, and then children get involved in sports, and there's everything going on. They're working so much, and maybe now is an opportunity to, you know, to reset. Gosh, is what so. As difficult as it is, and and there are so many difficulties, but can we see this as as a positive to get back to the basics of our faith? So whether it is through the Liturgy of the Hours, which can set a, a pace for our day, yes. or if it's through meditation on how to be free from all attachment to sin in fulfillment of the plenary indulgence, because we are, on this particular one, we're not required to go to confession yet or mm-hmm take Holy Communion yet, it's all about, are you close to God and there are ways to do it? Yes. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of what's going on in our church, including some of the dangers that our church faces as a part of this virus from priests, some of whom are elderly, who are exposed to this virus, to the finances. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is the Vicar General for our Diocese, Monsignor Stephen Doctorsik. And first of all, I, I want to thank you again for coming in here. Monsignor, you're about my age, I suspect, which means that we're both getting up there, inching past our middle age and into the, the last third of our lives, so to speak, God willing. But that also means that in the realm of the coronavirus, we're beginning to approach more of the susceptibility. When you're looking at who's suffering from it most, uh, it's the people who are older. It's men who are suffering older. That's another thing that came out. Uh, in Italy, the people that have been dying have been 70% men. Yeah, it's very interesting. And most of them are from age 50 on up, and something like 80% of them are from like 70 on up, 85%. Which means that the people who are out there who are at the hospitals as chaplains, the people who are offering mass and, and still going out on sick calls and still putting themselves in harm's way are often in that most vulnerable category. 
how are your priests doing? How are all? How are we doing? Is this a danger that you all talk about? It's a danger, and, and the bishop has been clear. Look, we're he brings up the example of Saint Aloysius Gonzaga, if you remember, who was out, you know, ministering to the people during the plague, and then himself died at what in his early twenties. Saint Damien of Hawaii. Well, there, there you go. Him also, where he got leprosy after serving lepers in a leper colony. Right. So we, we want to use good prudence. So, for example, we have a, a, a retired priest who he's getting very much up there in years, but he would go you know, Monday and Friday to the local hospital and do his rounds. Well, he's not doing those anymore right now. So it is getting a little more limited. If somebody is calling, we are absolutely going to be going to be responding, going out there and being proactive. That It's not happening as much, especially at the places where the priests are older and we are finding, and this could be an opportunity in the future, but that a lot of our volunteers in our church are older than, than, than you and me, Absolutely. you and I. And so, you know, we have the 75, 80-year-old people, and they have been pulling back on their own to saying it's not safe for me. We say, absolutely, it's not. Right. So we have to admit that is a community to the sick happening as much? Well, no, it's not. And so a lot of people are being deprived together so we're, we're trying to work through this we're trying not to because the priest catches yeah. you know it's not just individual it, it could be spread to others or a priest living in a house of three or four other priests if he has something well then he's got to be careful so it, it really is a balance of wanting to you know fully give ourselves and look I'm, we're here to minister to the people but also not wanting to be imprudent and us contracting something and then unknowingly you know, spreading it around. This is something I'm not sure that a lot of people have really thought about. I know many have, but this isn't just about you, <laughs> meaning this isn't just about the parishioner. The parishioners have been denied a, a lot in this, but there is going to be a time in this that everyone is saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yes. We're going to have a number of people get sick. And, you know, unless some of these treatments that have been talked about recently really pan out as being miracle drugs, we're going to have a lot more people get very sick and die. And that means there's going to be more and more and more of a call on people, on priests, who many of whom may not, have not done a whole lot of hospital calls. You're going to have a crisis here where a number of you, I assume, are going to be asked to fill in as hospital chaplains to be able to go and mm-hmm. render what they used to call last rites, to be able to, to give uh, the anointing of the sick and to be able to hear the confessions of those who are in danger of death, because many more people are going to be in danger of death. Yes, and if I could add, I mean, it, this, it showed people sometimes will step up to the plate. And we got an email from two doctors, I think they're both at Hogue Hospital, who said, you know, could we, we'd like to offer some, some tips. So we have a priest working on, you know, proper garment, the, the, the oh, mask to wear. Very cool. And so there are Catholic doctors out there, not a few, who, who really care and are taking the time. Now, look, we, we know the priests want to be out there. We want to protect them while still serving the people. So we're working in conjunction with the, with a couple of them to, uh, I don't say the via media, but I mean, we're, you know, both and. So we'll still serve the people, but not, oh, I'm going to be a hero and go in and with no mask, but nothing no. else. But that is one of the things that's being looked at here is we've got, I know of at least one doctor who's non-Christian, non-Catholic, but still likes when we have priests making their calls, just from the psychological perspective of that up attitude helps people recover. 
And that's something that is a real benefit in addition to the spiritual benefit of going is that there is a an attitude of, I at least have God on my side, uh-huh. so to speak. And that's something that the priests are being called to do that I don't think a lot of us are realizing by suspending the masses, we're preserving our priests who are going to be needed for this very important ministry. Uh, there's another issue that comes in line, and that's most of us are in the habit of just placing our money in the collection basket. When that happens every week, we get into that, that rhythm we talked about, the rhythm of Catholicism. You go to church, you put your, your, your envelope in. Well, if you're not going to church, are you sending in your envelope? And that's important, too, because this is a commitment that we have to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his church that he founded to support it where possible. And that's not just in convenient times. And that's not just when things are flush with cash. Right now is a difficult time for a lot of people, but we still have people that are on the payrolls of the church, mm-hmm. and they're totally dependent. What's the church thinking about in that? There's practical aspects to that, isn't there? Many practical aspects, and it's something that we've been trying to get going for years. And some are more successful than others, but there's electronic giving and credit card giving, and I think the the mega churches have done a much better job than than we have, I think. In, ah, but in, we can learn. Oh, we can certainly learn. <laughs> so it's another opportunity. Reminds me of Paul when he walks in the in the was the Oropagus, where he <laughs> sees to the statue to an unknown god and uses that as his launchpad to mm-hmm. be able to preach to the Athenians. Yes, we can do that with electronic. Giving. We, we can, and, and so things are being. By the time this airs, hopefully. Almost everybody will have something up, certainly on our cathedral website, because if we have, we had over 100,000 people watch the three masses that we live stream this last Sunday. So how much more might this happen? You know, now more people will be watching because more last Sunday masses were still being held. But we, we do, you know, want to remind people, yes, and, you know, in the good times and in the bad times, and now these are difficult times. And yes, the churches and, and the pastoral center were cutting back as much as we can with things that are not necessary, even in our own lives. And I'm sure many people are having but to make tough But you can't just decisions. lay off everybody without pay, yeah. which means that those bills go on. And I also noticed when I was walking in the door, while we don't have people in the regular building slots, we still have things that our church is doing for our public. Yes. I know that we have food giveaways that are still going on. They're being rescheduled and they're being done in ways to make it um, safer with social distancing and all. Yes. But to be able to to get real people who are in real trouble, real help, we're still doing all of that, and that takes money, that takes – this is the practicality of the issue. Absolutely, and there, are gonna, and there are going to be more and more people who are going to be in need and coming to the church, and you know, we want to be able to assist as much as we can. So, I mean, just keeping the, the regular operations going, and, and so we're trying to show that, look – we are still offering Mass each day. So many are live streaming, doing YouTube videos. So it's really, on the positive side, these are things we should have been doing years ago. So, and now this is just kind of forcing us, and the minds are working together. People are coming. Well, how about this idea? Well, let's try it. Well, and this is what's, I think, the silver lining, as you put it earlier. We have a plenary indulgence that's available. Mm-hmm. We have the Masses that are available. We have the... Invitation to reflection on how to have an examine of conscience and at the end of our daily office of prayers, we have so many things that people have never really had the chance to take advantage of right in front of them now 
please support the church. Go to the websites, and when you see that says, can you donate here, donate there. PayPal is your best friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go and, and donate. Or, you know, checks can still be mailed to the church. But we still take paper. Good. We still take paper, yes. Yeah. But <laughs> it is infected first before you put it in. Right. No, but thank, yeah, thank you for bringing that up, because it is. We understand people are suffering, and, and this is such a snowball effect with businesses being affected when nobody goes to work. Well, no, people aren't buying gas. People aren't going to the dry cleaners as much. So we know people are being affected, but yeah, we still want to be faithful to what the Lord is asking about the tithing and and about uh, you know realizing that you know to put God first. So I'm grateful you brought that up. So as we're looking at the practical side of things here, Bishop Van and his uh, close circle of advisors are really trying to be nimble here and work with how can we keep Christ's presence ministering to his people even if they can't be physically present with him. Mm-hmm. And they're finding new and, and different ways of trying to, to do Even this broadcast here is part of that, mm-hmm. where we're able to... We've only been doing this now for the last six years or so, something like that. I'm looking over at uh, Jim Governale over here, who's been here since day one, who's our technical director. Thank you, by the way, for all that you do, and for all the bravery you have for coming in here. Uh, although we are social distancing. I think you're about seven feet away. Father, you might be about five and a half. Well, that's okay, okay though. Okay. Uh, but the, he's got Clorox wipes right there. But we are we're practically doing everything that we can in order to try to bring this to all modes and media. Please do what you can in order to both pray for the church. That's the first thing I think. Pray for the church. Pray with the church as the body of Christ and in the Liturgy of the Hours. Pray with our by watching on the Mass. Pray your rosary and still give your money. Yes. That's important, too. Yes, thank you. Are there other practical aspects of things that Bishop has been talking about that he would want to make sure that we don't forget as we go through this time together? The bishop realizes the you know the authority that individual pastors have, and he is trying. We are trying to encourage them to come up with some of their own ideas and their own creative ways of of evangelizing. And you know we've had our strategic plan and evangelization being one of the pillars. And boy, this is really a way. How do we evangelize people who can't even come here? If you think about it, how many Catholics do come to church when the times are good? It's not like like it should be. So this is going to help us to get the message out. It's pushing things forward, say, more quickly out of necessity. We're talking with um, the Vicar General for our Diocese of Orange, Monsignor Stephen Doktorczyk. And when we come back, we've got one more segment. I want to talk a little bit more about how this time may end up being able to save our souls in ways that we have never imagined. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Monsignor Stephen Doktorczyk, who is the Vicar General for our diocese. Before we go any further, I want to thank you so very much for coming in uh, and spending this time. For some people who may not be our regular listeners, because I know we have a lot of people now at home, and they're maybe tuning in for the first time, they might not even be Catholic, they might not even be Christian, this is our regular um, weekly show that we do for the Diocese of Orange. We get information out. We get uh, events out. We also talk about issues of the day, whether they're moral issues, legal issues, or in this case, 
crisis issues within our church, and we've been talking about this time away from the sacraments at home and how that's impacting our lives. We've talked about trying to stay positive and some of the practical things that we can do in order to do that. But let's talk for a moment about the hope that we really have in Jesus Christ here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road, Father. How is there hope in this? Where do you see Christ operating even in this time of crisis? I think Jesus is giving us the opportunity, the invitation to grow closer to him, to, well, first of all, maybe to establish a relationship with him for those who have never known Jesus. Maybe they've, they've been invited but have not uh, accepted, not not wanted to take the next step or make that commitment. And those who, maybe Catholics who, as we know, there are not a few who may have been received their sacraments, perhaps married in the church, but have fallen away and not out of intention. A lot of times it just kind of happens. And so now this hope of saying, well, look at the situation. I have a chance to kind of rekindle my faith, to rediscover it. And this could change me with all the difficulties that we have with, with unemployment, with lost jobs, with all this uncertainty. We don't want to allow ourselves to to fall into despair. And I know it's easy to say in our heads, but there's always hope with Christ. There's always something to to look forward to. And if we look at the history of the world, even though in our age we've never had to deal with anything like this, people have dealt with worse even. And so might this even make us a stronger people in the end? You know, not to denigrate at all how serious this is and how deadly this is and how awful this is. There is still, as you put it earlier, a silver lining to it. This is a reminder at at a very base level. We are all going to die someday, and we're going to face whatever God is. And even Catholics are, are humble enough to say, we only know God from God's revelation, and that's not all of God, because God is infinite and we're finite. So even we would say we're going to be pleasantly surprised, at least we hope pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at what God is when we encounter God. But we have been given as well mm-hmm. a direct encounter with all that we need to know in Jesus Christ, where God decided to come as a human being, one of us, not as a superman able to jump, tall crosses in a single bound, but a a human being, but yet with a vision that was perfect to understand what this life is all about so that when we live, die, and resurrect, we can spend eternity with God and know that for sure with Jesus Christ our Lord if we die in love with him and having perfected that in our lives. This is an opportunity to be reminded of that right. in the busyness of our normal right. lives, isn't it? And shouldn't that be our goal, if we think about it? I mean, we get so tied up with all the everyday things, all of us. Our resumes. Yes. Yes. This, that to do, these errands, this uh, project, and how easy it is for, you know, for God just to be put on the margins, even for people who, you know, consider themselves practicing. And, you know, somebody might ask, you know, well, where is God in all of this? And what would our answer be? Well, we don't know why God is permitting this to happen. 
You know, but we, don't, we, we don't think it's in his most perfect will, for sure, but he is permitting it. So how, how are we going to respond? And we certainly are going to be reminded of our need for God. And at mm-hmm. times like this, it's in a perfect time for us to also be reminded of the need that other people have for God. Uh, you know, we're, we're, quote, isolated, unquote, mm-hmm. in our houses, but we're not isolated in this day and age from social media When's the last time that people who are listening, when's the last time that you reached out to relatives that you only send Christmas cards to and only that electronically? (laughs) When's the last time that you put out there something on your Facebook post about your faith during these times and that, you know, we, you normally might list pictures of your dinner. How about putting out there something that says, I'm praying for all of my, my friends? And if anyone wants special prayers, I've got some time. I'd be happy to pray for you. This is an opportunity if you use your heads and use your creativity mm-hmm. to reach out and evangelize. And if anyone reaches out to you, there are a lot of people out there. Please respond back mm-hmm. because this is a time for the entire body of Christ, those who are priests and have the ability to pray the Mass, mm-hmm. and those of us who are at home who are trusting that that Mass is being prayed and are sustained by it, even if we don't have the Eucharist, this is a time for us to come close to Christ. Mm-hmm. If people are thinking about Christ during this time, what advice would you give them in this time where we're, we're kind of not able to just go get to a priest, but what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about it? Are there certain readings that you might think about doing? Are there passages in the Bible Passages in the New Testament, things from perhaps the Sermon on the Mount, are there things that you would recommend that they look at and think about? Well, what comes to mind is, of course, it's, it's always a funeral psalm, but you think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, yeah, I shall not want. I love you know Psalm 8, which we pray on two Saturdays a month in, in the morning prayer. You know, Lord, oh God, how great are your works through all the earth. It's beautiful. It's not very long. So those are good. Uh, Psalm 51 with the whole image of the shepherd yes. carrying the the sheep with the broken legs until the sheep heals. Yeah, and so, yeah, the, the, the Psalms of Hope and the yeah, 51, the, the the Psalm of David, you know, the repentance. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, that's it. So we want to be hopeful on the one hand, but also realize, Lord, if I've been away from you, if I've been whatever, away from my family, away from the church, and now I'm only realizing you know, what I've been missing and what, where I've been lacking, you know, please make the words of, of, of David our own. You know, when we, whenever we read the Psalms, that's what we're, we're doing. People sometimes talk about the unforgivable sins. They've heard that out there. Mm-hmm. Is there a sin so great that God will not forgive it if we wish to be forgiven? Well, I think you know, the despair is really one of the, the right, the uh, sin the against unfor- the Holy Spirit. Meaning dying without turning back to God. Right, and, and and it's really this belief that, well, you know, God can't save me, and there's no hope, and if somebody is so hardened and, and is not going to change, well, then any invitation would not, you know, would not cause them to even even rethink that position. So, Pharaoh's heart has been hardened, so to speak. Yes. So that means not, then there really isn't a sin so great that I could commit or may have committed in my deep past that if I go honestly before God, that God can't forgive my sins. 
And we want to, and some people, well, do despair and and deprive themselves really of of the grace and the forgiveness that that God wants to give. But uh, no, there are people. Oh, I did this or this. How could He ever forgive? Well, don't let yourself fall into despair. Now, of course, we don't want to fall in the presumption category either. Mm-hmm. So those two extremes, we want to be in the middle where we where we trust, we realize we're sinful, but never to limit God. But while we're away from the sacrament of confession, this is a good time for us to really try to focus on developing, to being in touch with God's mercy mm-hmm. and to rely on God guiding us into a, a true contrition, into a complete contrition, mm-hmm. so that our contrition is not just because I fear going to hell. Mm-hmm. It's because I've offended God and I love God and that breaks my heart that I love that's that very, God. That's very well put. And that that's... You know, perfect contrition. I, it's not because, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, the boy who hits a baseball through the window, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to sorry maybe because I'm going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm sorry because I've, well, maybe that's not the best answer. But, you know, mm-hmm. in any way, I've offended God, I've offended my parents. But in this case, I, I love him so much. And this action certainly did not show that. And while we're away from confession, that perfect contrition suffices so long as when we're freed from this and we have the opportunity to get to confession, we go. That's right. That's right. Yes. Wow. So this is a time with practical concerns, but there's hope in all the practical and all of the the spiritual concerns as well. Thank you, Monsignor, for coming in and, yes. and guiding us through a little of this time and the difficulties this can be. Would you please pray for us and impart your blessing? I will. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We thank you, good and gracious God, for for this opportunity, for this conversation, for those who are listening right now, and those who, who will listen in the future. And Lord, we ask you to help us to be a people of great hope, realizing that there is always something to look forward to, that this too shall pass, and as we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that you know you work all things together for good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. May we take comfort in, in your words. May we take comfort in the words of Scripture, comfort in the many writings of the saints that we are called to, invited to, uh, meditate upon during this time when many of us are sheltered in our homes, leaving only for essential reasons, and again, lead us, prevent despair that may sometimes creep in unknowingly or even in an uninvited way. And again, thank you, and, and keep us all full of encouragement for one another and not drawn in on ourselves, but you know, what can I do for others? How can I grow closer to the Lord? How can I bring others to the Lord? We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today has been the Vicar General for our Diocese, Monsignor Stephen Doktorsik. And if you would like to share this podcast uh, with anybody else, you can go to occatholic.com. And under the radio tab, we have a number of radio programs we put on. OC Catholic is our flagship, and we're very proud of that. If you turn on there, you will be able to see this 
either up now or shortly, and you'll be able to share this with a friend. We will see you again next week.